It's Fab here, founder and head teacher at Old Marketing School and your marketing BFF. And today I want to invite you to the place where marketing rebels go to master the craft. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about our marketing rebels, self-paced course library and student community. Imagine this, the ultimate library of courses, tactics and templates for marketers looking to use their superpowers for good. So if you are ready to access our short courses, a supportive community of marketing rebels, your personal cheerleading squad, then you gotta go and check our library out. Yes, think about us as your marketing BFFs sharing incredible weekly tactics tools, resources, and even prompts and trends to make sure that you always have fresh content coming out. Plus, we also have marketing sprints, hot seats, and office hours to support you as well in the journey. If it sounds like a good party, I guess it is. So all you have to do is make sure that you join us and you can do it in just two clicks. You just go to School dot click slash library i repeat am school dot click slash library to find out more about how to join us right now i will be waiting for you on the inside now on with today's episode welcome to alt marketing school we are proudly bringing together a new wave of marketers just like yourself We want to provide you with the skills to speak to your audience perfectly, empower clients with winning strategies to market their brands, champion their values, and make a positive impact in the online world. My name is Fab, and I'm your host. May the class begin. But, um... (laughs) Oh, yeah, I got it. Public service announcement, people. We are kind of zonked today, so I cannot be held liable for any idiotic things we're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm not gonna put Becca in it I'm gonna say today I might say some as well you know (laughs) but you know we are being true to the life of a marketer which is some weeks you don't know you were telling me you just don't know but you're just tired you just don't know why it's just happening it just all comes at once I think and then everything is fine I mean everything is fine like let's be clear you know nothing crazy bad's happened but I think it just catches up with you and then yeah when we first hopped on this this morning it's like oh we're a little bit tired <laughs> you know what I love what you wrote yesterday on Twitter that I spotted which is kind of like which I think it might be I mean my tiredness is from my book that is out was out last week at the time of listening guys so that was a journey in itself but you wrote about this thing about how do you keep up with the accounts that you follow, the people that you love, just to kind of see the news, but also not feel overwhelmed or overly tired. And it really resonated with me. I mentioned that I have allocated time just because I have to for, for literally my own like, sanity. But I understand that people don't realize that that is also part of the job that comes with working in marketing. You actually have to do that, not just for engagement, but also for other reasons. And I, I agree, it can be exhausting and you don't really know how to draw the line no I think that's that's definitely been a thing for me this week I realized how much when I'm going on social media particularly I would say Twitter and Instagram is where I experienced this feeling of 
I follow a lot of people who are in the industry who inspire me and who are doing amazing work. And a lot of the time that's really motivating and really like, you know, you want to support them. You want to keep up with what's going on and it's great. And then sometimes I think it just tips over into starting to feel, oh my God, how are people managing to do so much? Like they're doing like such amazing work. How do they fit in anything else? Where's the balance? And then your own feed becomes this kind of overwhelming (laughs) scrolling experience where you're like, oh, I came on here because I had 10 minutes, uh, you know, I just wanted to fill up with scrolling. And now I'm, this has not worked out. This has had the opposite effect to what I wanted. I'm now questioning my life choices. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, know, it's, um, it's one of the things that I think when I was writing Reclaim Your Time Off, which obviously I was talking about, like the publishing week last week, I realized that whether you work in marketing, which obviously for us is a case, or whether even just you work online or you have an element of online world. But also if you if you work in retail, if you work in hospitality, you know, obviously I think a lot of people have now, we're talking about shifting consumer trends now, just, just for context. A lot of people have been adopting the online world and looking at on, you know, and looking at online showreels, because that's what they tend to be. You know what I mean? A lot more. And I think I put a lot of pressure on everyone in different ways. And I kind of feel, and I've just seen it, again, this has been a bit of a theme in the last chats, but I've seen people stepping back a bit more. I am personally doing it, again, it's because I'm I'm literally exhausted by reading a book, but I literally had so many conversations where people just said, yeah, I'm just going to rein it in, I'm just going to slow it down. And it could be because things are opening in different sides of the world. But I also think it's because we are all a bit, zonked and ready to just you know get away from that side of things and be a bit more mindful of our usage as well i definitely definitely and i think as well you raise a good point there which reminds me of i don't know how you felt but i think during the last year where we've been in lockdown and stuff the amount of time i'm on my phone has crept up quite a lot and so now i think before then it was it was a manageable amount. I don't remember having this feeling maybe, you know, once in a blue moon, but it wasn't like a constant. And now I think because it's crept up and I cut my default is to when we've had like, you know, ha- not had the option to go out and do things for such a long time. Obviously, now it's coming back, which is amazing. But it's like, oh, yeah, I'll just go on my phone or I'll just scroll or I'll just most things kind of revolve around social media in some way. And I think that's I definitely feel like now things are opening up again. I'm like, yeah, I would actually really welcome the chance to take a step away from social media and just back off and reduce the scrolling time. And yeah, I think it's just crept up without me realizing for sure, like over the last 12 months. And now I'm starting to feel the effects of like, oh my God, this is just, just too much happening. Can't handle it. I love that you mentioned that because I was reading a piece that I put into the old marketing school newsletter. If you're not subscribed, literally add your best email there. It makes us happy. It makes the world happy. So go and do it. Check the show notes. Anyway, in the newsletter, I talk about something. This is more, again, going back to what we talked about, the show reel and like the, the anxiety. And it's an article from Forbes and wait a second let me see if I can actually remember exactly the title because it's quite punchy 
it was obviously we're talking about Twitter spaces in that piece, which we talked about also last week, which is quite exciting. And I, I might even send it to you, Becca, because I don't know if you've seen it. If you've seen it, let me know. But it was, let me see if I can actually get the title. Oh, yes. Okay. Twitter spaces versus Clubhouse, authenticity versus ego. Can you guess which one was which in the article? And then I might tell you a bit more about it because I think it's really interesting. Uh, um, is Ego Clubhouse authenticity Twitter? Yeah, I'm opening it up so like, things don't flash at me right now. But yeah, from so it's really interesting just to give you some context because I don't want to hear your opinions. Please, Forbes, don't flash random ads at me because they do that. So the actual article includes a lot of an interview that the author did with a guy called Paul Armstrong, among other people, talking about Clubhouse and kind of what the different things look like. And there are loads of interesting quotes, but it really talks about the vibe that this person got from being on Clubhouse and see the conversations. And it's really fascinating. It's kind of talking about, you know, you get into a room like how to be a billionaire and it just feels, you know, the vibe is really to feed the ego of the people that are there, having that conversation and talking about it instead of the other way around. And it talks about the different types of connection that instead it feels prompted to have on Twitter spaces and the fact that it allows you to connect with people that you already know as well a lot more. It's a really fascinating piece. Again, it is in the newsletter if you want to read it. Obviously, I can send it to Becca. But I wanted to hear your opinion on it because obviously then it goes on into like different elements of it. But when I saw it, I just wanted to click on it and kind of read a bit more about it because I found it really, really interesting. And also shows, before I let you take the proverbial mic, it's interesting because it really shows that this week was the week that Clubhouse put the beat over their Android, but downloads are still going down now. It's coming, it is actually now officially going down. So that's really interesting. Anyway, what do you think? I think so yeah I'm I'm not surprised I do feel a little bit bad for like Clubhouse as a whole that they're you know oh yeah now you can get it on Android but nobody seems to care anymore but I do think when it was kind of in its peak kind of at the beginning of this year there was there were two types of room that you could enter you could enter rooms that genuinely were about you know providing value for the audience and it being very balanced and equal and feeling like a nice you know, a valuable space for everyone. But there were those almost like clickbaity rooms with those those punchy headlines like, oh yeah, come find out how I got a million followers and all of those type ones, which yeah, are a little bit, mm, okay, not, not 100% sure about that. And I think as well, because it's, well, maybe it was a new platform, a new concept, you're always going to get the early adopters and some of them are just looking to make like you know quick wins okay i want to get as many followers as i can to benefit myself you know kind of obviously but it's, it's how you go about it and i don't know if you're trying to just get quick wins from it if that's a viable long-term strategy which is why i think twitter with twitter spaces actually you kind of have to prove that you're that you've got valuable content to give before you do a Twitter space. And obviously now it's rolled out, so you, you know you could just start one if you've got enough um, followers. But people won't join if they, you know. And I've actually seen a lot of Twitter spaces this week along that top bar. So I was like, oh, I want to click, but I didn't. Um, but what I did notice is the number of people in them were all quite small, like four or five, and I thought. 
gosh, that's quite different to what we were seeing on Clubhouse, like where they're quite often maybe 10 at least, like double digits, I think was kind of like normal. Um, and so that made me think, okay, like, and these are quite high profile people I saw on Twitter as well. It's still not attracting a very big Twitter spaces audience. So I think it just proves that, yeah, you've got to be like committed. And if you're going to use it, it's going to be part of your long-term strategy as well. But I think people are only going to tune into like these social audio rooms now if they've if you've proved already, oh yeah, this is the kind of content that you can expect from me and not be doing it for just some, you know, oh yeah, I want to see some new followers. No, no, no. Like that's not what it's for. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I love that. And it also almost goes back to what I've seen on Instagram as well when it comes to the lives. Like lives obviously kind of slow down a bit. Now they pick themselves up a touch again, which I was kind of, okay, you're back. But I see that a lot of them are very educational, quite structured, you know, and also even in lives, I tend to see that even in the bigger ones, if you want to call them that way, there's never more than probably like 10 to 15 people on most days. So I really think that it becomes more of a way to, you know, engage with a selected number of people because you would expect somebody with 100,000 followers to get 100,000 people but we're really and I think it goes back to the initial conversation we had the novelty of that has kind of gone a bit and in a way I'm quite happy that I I mean I stuck around with the podcast it's just I I would anyway but I'm really happy that I have the podcast as the other option because I was talking to a couple of um, experts or you know people that actually run podcasts and people their platforms and just saying, like, what do you think? Is podcast, you know, going to be replaced by Clubhouse? And a lot of people, even, even back then, said probably not because it's a different experience. The podcast experience allows you to connect with somebody at your own terms and you have to be passive and we prefer to be passive than active in the first place. So I think, I don't know, one other thing that I'm thinking, even with Twitter spaces, is whether we are wary to come in because we're worried that we're going to be asked to talk when we don't really feel like it. You know, because... Um, I think it's very important to prompt people to talk if the room allows it. Like if you want to talk, remember to talk. But then also some people are like, especially if you're highly introverted, you're like, I don't really want you to encourage me to chat because I don't want to chat. So, you know, I think it's really interesting also from that side of things, how that has shifted too. I think that's so true. And I remember that actually in Clubhouse when it was kind of starting up, it was like, a bit almost like a little bit of fear when you first when you're first exploring the app and figuring out how it works it is a bit scary not massively but you know you click on a room and you're like wait am I going to be are they going to hear me like it's that unknown where people still haven't quite figured out how like this social audio experience quite works and I do think that plays into it a lot and Tell me what you think, but I sometimes think as well, when you see a smaller room, and this is probably why I didn't click on those Twitter spaces I've seen this week, actually, even though they were probably interesting. It's like, oh, well, if I've only got five people, probably, you know, definitely one, maybe two of them are like the, the speakers, the designated speakers or hosts. And then that's kind of putting, if I join, I'll be part of the spotlight because there's not many audience members. And yeah, if you're, you know, if you're doing something else or you're, you just don't fancy talking, it's like, well, mm, want to join, don't want to have anything to say, but also don't want to appear like almost rude if they're like, oh yeah, come up on stage. And you're like, no, it's, it's just like, I just want to listen because, you know, I'm enjoying your content. But I do wonder if, oh, I was thinking of something else that you um, said as well, just the whole experience and how that will 
kind of, you know, by having those Twitter spaces that are to a small group, you are catering for maybe your like most dedicated followers, which could work well. But yeah, I think it's interesting that that kind of balance between oh, people want to listen, but do they want the pressure of talking or yeah, like you say, our podcast is actually really nice because it's like, yeah, listen, there's no pressure. They're not going to suddenly start talking to me and be like, hey, you know, come up. It's like, oh, no, I can't. I don't want to. I've got nothing to say. So yeah, social audio is an interesting one. Have you seen though, just talking about actual news again today, we were going off on a, on a gorgeous tangent of awesomeness, but I feel the energy is shifting in the air and it could be me, but I just feel the energy is shifting in a lot of ways. But interestingly on Twitter spaces, so they rolled up for everyone with more than 600 followers. And at the same time, they started testing. Have you seen it? Let's see if her face, oh, maybe not. Her face tells me maybe not. They started testing ticketed spaces. I just did it all and nobody heard me going, oh. <laughs> she was ooing inside. <laughs> yeah. There are pictures of, of that testing. I mean, I think they tested and there's a couple of bugs, so they're not really testing too much apparently because it's like, uh, a bit like the tip jar kind of vibe. Um, well, basically you can charge... I don't I don't remember again don't quote me on it it's it's in the newsletter it says exactly there's the, the link to the official article but the testing is that you can charge a specific amount whether it's five dollars or whatever to enter a Twitter space it's a bit like Facebook when they try to do ticketed events but then again do I even look for events on Facebook funnily enough I would probably go to Eventbrite first even if you know what I mean so it's very really interesting so it's cool but my question is once again is that gonna work is that needed? Who would want to? It's a bit like the super followers for me, but because I love Twitter, but I'm not, you know, I love it in a less enthusiastic way, I guess. So I'm always like, would I, would I pay for that? Especially when it's a space and then you can join in afterwards, you know, thoughts. Yeah, I don't know if I would join. Um, well, I'd want to join, but I don't know whether I'd want to pay I guess depends how much it would be and also what are they offering which is it feels like it almost needs to be an exclusive you know like oh you can't get this anywhere else it's all one off but I don't know whether Twitter is the right environment for that because at the moment I still think it can do with some you know ironing out of the interface and everything like nothing major nothing major at all but I'm thinking for if it was a paid kind of event thing yeah, is audio the best place for that? Or would it be good to have the option of like more visual stuff as well? I don't know. It's It would have to be very good content and like maybe a very good guest to get me to part ways with some, some money. But hmm, I'm not sure about that one. At the same time, actually, kind of going back to what you just said as well, uh, another thing that happened, obviously, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Apple podcast allowing subscriptions. And then Spotify was like, ha, you're not going to catch me red-handed here. I'm going to now allow subscription to all podcasters because I'm a podcaster, obviously, also on Spotify. You've got all the podcasts also in there. And I got this email saying, hi, you can now also charge if you want. So I love the fact that, that each platform is trying to hone which one is going to take like the percentage of your subscription. But now I'm going to throw the question back at us in another way. We talked about it a bit because the creator economy obviously is becoming a big thing even within that even within you know the actual podcast which I did try just for transparency I did actually try to do a paid version of the 
podcast at the beginning like just kind of like to kind of like soft launch it and then I realized this just is from a creator perspective I'm already having one or two shows a week I was like do I want to have you know like an extra you know other stuff that I need to record but I'm also wondering how you know from a creative perspective from a brand perspective is yet another thing that you need to get your audience to buy into you know what I mean? Is another thing that you need to ask people and how, how many things can people subscribe to these days? Even if they do love you, it's just always that kind of slippery slope of in the Substack newsletter. And then you've got, uh, again, for example, the podcast, and then you've got this, and then you've got that. All of these subscriptions, it just feels there's a lot of extra content you have to create and extra content people have to digest. I think it's um, like a very good point. And I wonder if that will actually kind of become quite a big barrier for creators and also audiences because I'm thinking about like Patreon for example is quite good because you can have different types of content it could be a video it could be a written post you know you could upload different files there and that's quite nice from an audience perspective because you're paying one amount of money every month and no matter what form the creator wants to produce like they can upload it there Whereas with all these little avenues where, again, it's not going to be massive amounts of money, like it might be a pound or like five pounds, whatever. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's reasonable. That's not that much. But that's all going to add up. And if you're having to follow or if you're having to subscribe in multiple places for one creator, that's, you know, you, I, I wonder if people would be like, well, I'm going to have to pick one channel like that, you know, for that person. And as you say, from the creator's perspective, that's a lot of work figuring out, okay, well, what content, where, where's going to be the most, where's going to bring me the most value, creating that content. And also like the admin, you know, (laughs) of having to set all these things up. At the moment, I feel like we're just on the cusp of like, there are options to produce paid or like work that you can subscribe to. But we're, we're going into that balance where it's like, oh, there's almost too many choices. And if you want to set them all up, that's kind of a lot of work and just more stuff to keep on top of. Whereas before it was like, oh, yeah, like Twitter, for example, was like, you didn't even have to think about it. It was just pop tweets out there if you want to. That's it. And now it's like, do I need to be hosting an event? Do I need to be hosting a like paid for event? Da, da, da. It's, it's just changing a lot, I think. I'm wondering whether that is also prompting brands from a brand's perspective to almost choose one platform and choose it well. I will be the first person to say, don't put all of your eggs in one basket at all times. However, even from our perspective for Creative Impact, obviously one of my brands, I am thinking about reducing the amount of scheduling and content on some of the platforms. Even if they, you know, what's funny though, I was looking at the analytics because kids look at your analytics to figure out where people are coming from, uh, just as a reminder. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I mean, I could still, we could still post on Facebook, but then I'm also like, yeah, it's about maybe 20 people a week, which is not nothing, but I'm like, but it's potentially another tool that we need to use to post is another thing that we need to do. And I'm like, is it really worth my time and our time to actually do that and so we're probably going to do it just just for just to explain in the easiest and most automated way because I don't care as much and I think it's just realized from a marketer perspective that's where I'm at I'm like I want to do less and better because I just don't have the energy to do 
more and I don't know if that makes sense to you as well yes I think it's that thing you've almost got to pick like your two to three platforms where you're going to give it your all and that's going to be your strongest area where you can yeah you can give them more time and attention and they're probably where your audience are most engaged as well. And so you're getting that kind of feedback, which is part of the reward. I feel like when you're producing content, if you, you know, if that's on Instagram, for example, and your audience are really engaged, it's nice. It makes it all feel worth it. Cause you're like, oh yeah, this is actually really enjoyable. But then, yeah, you're, I do think you get platforms. You're like, well, there are people there but I'm not getting as much out of this. This isn't as valuable, but it's still a little bit valuable, you know, and it's finding that balance. But I, I completely agree. I think it, you've got to, it's hard, right? You've got to figure out, okay, where, where are people? What kind of content am I producing? Where is that going to fit best? And where can I focus my attention without, you know, like I would say with Instagram, as great as it is, and you know, they're doing so much with different content types and everything. If you just literally had only an Instagram, I'd be a bit scared because they change so rapidly and get rid of things or introduce new things, which impact the original things and you just got no control. So I completely agree with you. You've got to like have a couple at least, but it's just hard as a creative figuring out, like what am I supposed to do? I agree. I agree. Um, and I think it's kind of going back to that idea. I love what you mentioned there as well. Find two or three platforms that you really want to hone, that you feel really strongly about, and then see how you can kind of use your content the best way there, because I think it's key. And also, one of the things that I found is that, like, I have some things that are still scheduled. And almost like, for example, things like Instagram are almost much more, like, happy to schedule a lot of it. But then, for example, platforms like LinkedIn, there is some things that are scheduled, that I'm finding more and more, especially in people on platforms like LinkedIn, that actually being able to post more organically and actually, you know, tag people and things like that. Now it's it's much more valuable. And I'm wondering whether it is because in itself, the platform is having a surge of really good conversations. Um, and so it's kind of almost is changing the way that we're looking at some of these platforms, depending on really what type of content you're putting out there. And it's kind of really shifting also the time that we're spending on them. I don't know if that makes sense. I think it does. And I, I think like LinkedIn is a good example because it used to be quite a, I'm gonna say it, used to be quite a boring platform. You know, people just had this view of it and rightly so, oh, it's super corporate that, you know, why would you, you're not gonna get people scrolling through their LinkedIn kind of like for joy. But now I think in the last sort of 12 to 18 months, lots of things have happened like they introduced video and I think that's kind of started people seeing the platform in a different light and now it is a much more engaged platform where people are having these you know really engaging conversations in the comments and it's being used in a different way so I think there is definitely a shift uh like you're saying it's I think it is hard figuring out like almost predicting as well okay like when you're building your strategy what's going to happen in like six months to a year's time, how the audience is going to shift. Do you need to shift with them and how that might affect your content or yeah, like where you're focusing your attention or how, how much time as well do you need to think about dedicating to engaging with them potentially as well? It's almost like our strategies are going to become more compact and a bit shorter and a bit, and 
able to actually cater for that a bit more because I think platforms have, have shifted a lot in the last 12 months for obvious reasons. And now I think, because as we said in the beginning, just to go back to the, the first point we made, people are spending less time and more conscious time. I think now what's going to happen is that each platform is, again, has, has been trying and now even more so to be the one that people would use as the go-to. So I think from a brand perspective, I agree with you. Now, before you would talk about, and I would teach people how to do 12-month strategies, et cetera, et cetera. And it's good to have that roadmap. But also I think the flexibility that you need as a marketer has completely changed. And, you know, being able to do that, it actually saves you a lot of headaches as well. Yeah, I think being flexible and knowing that at any point, despite how well-planned your strategy is, you might just have to flip it over and be like, okay, something major has happened with the platform or how audiences are interacting. I need to change everything. And I think that's quite good actually, like you say, having a general idea of like, okay, in 12 months I want to have got here, but knowing that along the way you might have to um, drastically adapt what you were doing. Like if a new platform comes along or completely, you know, this time a year ago, I don't think any of us were half as bothered about, you know, short form video. And now it's like, we've all got TikToks, we've all got Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts. It's just, these things come out of kind of almost nowhere that suddenly, yeah, we're all doing it. We're all thinking how we can use it. And like thinking from a short form video first point of view, you know, and you've just got to be prepared for those kinds of changes, I think. That is so true. And guys, I really hope that today we got, we covered a lot of things in a short little time. <clears throat> I appreciate that. It was like, whoa, all the things. But you can see a thread there. And I think it reflects on audiences' behavior and also how can we adapt to it. That's kind of like the bottom line of today. So we actually had a thread somehow. Um, but I'm really excited. There's more stuff actually that came out this week. So it might be that some of it I'm going to talk about next week because it's going to trail. There's a couple of things that we didn't touch on. But, um, you know, I want to make sure that you have enough to digest and not too much. As always, if you want to find out all the links, you can go to allmarketingschool.com. And now there, there's going to be a section also where you can access all of the old Again, um, link trails so that you can read through them almost as blog posts, but also I would say subscribe to the newsletter because you also get some free little extra things every so often, little webinars, little things coming that you might want to check out. Uh, if you want to ask me any question, I'm at Fab Giovanetti, F-A-B-G-I-O-V-A-N-E-T-T-I on social. Becca, where can people I'm find you again? Becca Social across all of the platforms. I will be there and I can wave at you and chat. <laughs> I can poke you like we used to do on Facebook in the yeah. old days. What a weird thing poking was, huh? It was quite weird. Yeah, it was quite weird. A little bit strange. Why did they have that to begin with? Weird. Bye, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Head to oldmarketingschool.com to find out more about topics that we covered in this week's class. If you want to make your teachers happy, then hop onto iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Oh, and don't forget to spend the love on Instagram at Alt Marketing School. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>